I think you'd agree with me at this point. We've been seeing that Deuteronomy is brilliant. The Holy Spirit inspired Moses to apply the law, the first four books, right, of the Pentateuch, the last book here in Deuteronomy, apply God's law to God's people so that God's people would flourish in the promised land they're about ready to enter, and that through that flourishing, it would glorify God's name to the nations around them. And in this section, in chapters 9 through 11 today, we're going to see that Moses helps God's people look ahead, and how he does that is he looks back. I was thinking about this a lot this week. That's the pattern for a lot of speeches, isn't it? For those of you that are married, for those of you that were like the best man or the maid of honor, right? Remember that speech that you heard or you gave? You looked back on that person and their relationship and who they are, and then you looked ahead into their marriage, right? The best man or maid of honor gives a toast, looking back and looking ahead. To kind of like bring us into this moment, I'm going to share a time that I completely failed as the best man in looking back and looking ahead. So I have two younger brothers, brother right beneath me. I'm getting ready to give the best man speech, right? Looking back, looking ahead stuff. Picture the scene with me, which is an amazing scene. My brother, who I love dearly, has a taco bar, you know, in the wedding reception, and not just a taco bar. They were supposed to have a guacamole fountain. Like, picture that, guacamole, a fountain. It's glorious. The fountain broke, so I'm getting ready to stand up. I'm noticing the taco bar. The guacamole fountain isn't working. And then just to be even more distracted of why I did not look back and look ahead, my sister-in-law is from Wisconsin. She's a huge, and I mean huge, University of Wisconsin fan, right? Bucky the Badgers, their mascot. Does anybody know this? So no joke, taco bar, broken guacamole fountain, and then they somehow get someone in the full Bucky the Badger mascot to be in the wedding reception ready to dance, and I'm supposed to give the best man speech. I completely failed. I did not look back to help them look ahead at all. Uh, and I think there's valid reasons for that based on what you just heard me say, right? Okay, but to move from like funny into serious, think about looking back to look ahead and how that's worked even in like really important speeches in the life of our country. So think about Abraham Lincoln. Remember, a lot of you in elementary school, you had to memorize the Gettysburg Address, right? What did Lincoln do? He looked back in order to look ahead. Same thing, Martin Luther King Jr., right? I have a dream speech. Read it again. What does he do? He looks back to frame the present and then to inform the future, right? When everyone should be free at last. So he looked back to look ahead. I share those examples to kind of whet our appetite for what we're going to see here in Deuteronomy 9 through 11 today. That gives us a framework of Moses's sermon. Remember, Deuteronomy is a series of sermons that Moses is preaching to God's people as they're getting ready to cross the Jordan River and finally enter the promised land. And the argument we're going to see from our text today is that in order to truly trust and obey God and experience his blessings, you must have your life remade by God's life. So please follow along with me now. Look over into Deuteronomy chapter 10. I'm going to read aloud for us verses 12 through 22. This is God's word. And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you but to fear the Lord your God, 
to walk in all his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and to keep the commandments and the statutes of the Lord, which I am commanding you today for your good. Behold, to the Lord your God belong heaven and the heaven of heavens, the earth with all that is in it. Yet the Lord set his heart in love on your fathers and chose their offspring after them, you above all peoples, as you are this day. Circumcise, therefore, the foreskin of your heart and be no longer stubborn. For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, and the awesome God, who is not partial and takes no bribe. He executes justice for the fatherless and the widow and loves the sojourner, giving him food and clothing. Love the sojourner, therefore, for you were sojourners in the land of Egypt. You shall fear the Lord your God. You shall serve him and hold fast to him. And by his name you shall swear. He is your praise. He is your God who has done for you these great and terrifying things that your eyes have seen. Your fathers went down to Egypt, 70 persons, and now the Lord your God has made you as numerous as the stars of heaven. Please agree with me in prayer before we dive in today. Father, we need to hear from you today. We praise you for your faithfulness and steadfast love. Till the soil of our hearts today by your spirit and center us in Christ. Open your word to us this morning and open us to your word. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So a big chunk of scripture. Here are three questions we're going to consider together. Three anchoring points from Deuteronomy 9 through 11. The first is what are God's people to hear? Second is what are God's people to do? And then lastly, what will God's people decide? That's the flow we're going to see in chapters 9 through 11. So first, what are God's people to hear? Look down. Look at how chapter 9 starts. And remember the setting, Moses preaching to the people of God. Chapter 9 starts, Hear, O Israel, you are to cross over the Jordan today. And then they're told they're going to dispossess nations greater and mightier than they are. He's calling them to hear. He's reminding them of the moment that lies before them. And then what are they to hear? Let your eye go down to verse 4. We get the answer in verse 4. Look at what God, through the mouth of his preacher, through Moses, warns them against. God warns them against what kind of sermon they've actually been preaching to themselves in their heart. Listen to this. Chapter 9, verses 4 through 7. Do not say in your heart, after the Lord your God has thrust them out before you, it is because of my righteousness that the Lord has brought me in to possess this land, whereas it is because of the wickedness of these nations that the Lord is driving them out before you. Not because of your righteousness or the uprightness of your heart are you going in to possess their land, but because of the wickedness of these nations, the Lord your God is driving them out before you and that he may confirm the word that the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. Know, therefore, that the Lord your God is not giving you this good land to possess because of your righteousness, for you are a stubborn people. 
Remember and do not forget how you provoked the Lord your God to wrath in the wilderness. From the day you came out of the land of Egypt until you came to this place, you have been rebellious against the Lord. Can you see it already? He's helping God's people look ahead by looking back. And he tells them, you are a stubborn people. The sermon you've been preaching to yourself is that all this good stuff's happening because of your righteousness. And he's warning them against that. So what are God's people to hear? They're to hear this warning from Moses the preacher, the warning about self-righteousness. God is saying that the promised land they're about to enter isn't theirs because of their own righteousness, meaning God's provision and grace to them is not because of anything they're bringing to the table. It's nothing in them that is compelling God to act for them in this way. It's not because of their righteousness. But what is it because of? Did you hear that in our text? It's because God keeps his word. Because God is keeping his promises, he's confirming his word that he promised to those that went before them, right? The promise he made to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. So God is keeping his word, and he's acting for his people because of his righteousness, not because of any righteousness in them. So again, like, we just have to hear this. Picture yourself in that group of people that Moses is preaching to. Beware of the sin of self-righteousness. So not only, like just picture the scene with me, not only are they prone to self-righteousness, later if you keep reading here in chapter 9, Moses looks back and just to like drive his point home, he reminds them, hey, let's get in the way back machine. Do you remember what happened by the mountain when your forefathers made that golden calf thing? Yeah, let me remind you about that. So Moses drives the point home if they were like, yeah, that was my mom and dad that were self-righteous. I'm not self-righteous. Moses unpacks this for them through the retelling of the golden calf when God's people were so quick, so quick to turn away from God and to fashion something created for their identity, for their security, for their satisfaction, and for their happiness, right? So this is the sermon Moses is preaching. In verses 15, then, through the end of the chapter, Moses retells, he retells the story, he's looking back, and then he's kind of like applying it to them. He retells how he came down from the mountain with the two tablets of the covenant, right? For those of us that have like grown up Christians or you know your Bible, like you've heard this before, but I hope you can like picture the glory and the wonder of this. Moses comes down from the mountain from being with God with the tablets, the Ten Commandments, right, of God's covenant down. And what does he see? The people have made an idol out of gold from the gold that God gave them from when they escaped Egypt as slaves. And instead of being grateful to God, they refashion it into another God to worship. Look down at verse 17. What does Moses remind them? What did he do? It says he threw down the tablets of God's commandments and they broke. And then Moses mediates with God again, back up on the mountaintop for God's people because of their sin. This is what he's retelling them. Hey, remember, look back at this as they're about ready to enter the promised land. 
And then notice there when Moses throws down the tablets and they break, notice what it doesn't say in Moses' sermon. Moses doesn't say like, God rebuked me for that. It gives no statement that God was displeased for Moses breaking the first copy of the Ten Commandments like in righteous response to the sin of God's people. And then as we move closer to the end of chapter 9, Moses describes, again, he's connecting the past to the present in order to inform the future. He describes God's people as rebellious and stubborn. Is Moses ear-tickling here as a preacher? (laughs) Not at all, right? Like, I wonder what the faces were like as they're looking at him. He's like, remember your forefathers, remember this happened? You also are rebellious and stubborn. So Moses' sermon, he continues to look back, and again, he's reappropriating what happened to God's people in the past, to God's people in front of him as they're looking ahead, right, for these long promised promises of entry into the promised land. That's a lot. We have a big chunk of scripture today. I'm just trying to bring us into the flow of it. But I wonder, like, as you hear this, maybe as you've been reading the text in preparation to hear it preached this week, where do you see yourself in this story? I would invite you to see yourself in this story. Romans 15.4 says that for whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. So we can know that on this side of the cross, we need to hear Deuteronomy today and that it's for our instruction too. We have God's word on that. So I wonder, how does Deuteronomy, just right here in chapter 9, how does it instruct you? Do you you see yourself in the people here, prone to not believing God? And maybe, we like to say this often at GBC because it's true, if you're being really honest, I just broke our pulpit. Oh, well. If you're being really honest, you've been stubborn or rebellious with the Lord lately right? It's easy to read Deuteronomy like a Bible storybook, which are great. We have some in the back. Pick some up. But you have to see yourself in this. It's written for our instruction. So is that you? Are you in the crowd here? Let me encourage you that we all are. So what are we hearing from Moses's sermon and how should we respond? That's the argument, that's the flow, that's the posture here to the original audience, and that's how we're to read this as well. So that brings us to our second emphasis, chapter 10, what are God's people to do? Chapter 10 begins again by Moses doing what? Looking back. He looks back again. And then in verse 12, that Moses' sermon takes a really important turn, and he addresses the immediate audience. He's been looking back, and now he really focuses in, he hones in on God's people in front of him as they're ready to cross the Jordan River. Look down specifically again at verses 12 through 21, and I want you to listen to this again. Listen to how God is described in these verses. What do we learn about God? Listen to how God's people are described. What do we learn about ourselves? And then in light of all this, what are God's people to do? Look down at the Bible in front of you, verses 12 through 21. Follow along and just listen again. And now, Israel, 
What does the Lord your God require of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and to keep the commandments and the statutes of the Lord, which I am commanding you today for your good. Behold, to the Lord your God belong heaven and the heaven of heavens, the earth with all that is in it. Yet the Lord set his heart in love on your fathers and chose their offspring after them, you above all peoples, as you are this day. Circumcise, therefore, the foreskin of your heart and be no longer stubborn. For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, and the awesome God, who is not partial and takes no bribe. He executes justice for the fatherless and the widow and loves the sojourner, giving him food and clothing. Love the sojourner, therefore, for you were sojourners in the land of Egypt. You shall fear the Lord your God. You shall serve him and hold fast to him. And by his name you shall swear. He is your praise. He is your God who has done for you these great and terrifying things that your eyes have seen. So just hear that. What are God's people to do? Hear from Moses' sermon. Verse 12 says, they're to fear God, to walk in all his ways, to love him, to serve God with all their heart and with all their soul, and to keep, not some, keep all of his commandments and statutes. How do you think God's people heard that? After they've been hearing about remember when and let's look back and now it's in the present, how did they hear this of what they're called to do and who they're called to be? If they were listening, they had to feel the weight of this in some kind of way, right? What God says he requires of them. There's a weightiness to this. Because if they were being honest, they can't do these things. They can't be these things. They can't do all of this all the time in the way that God is what? It says God is requiring of them. So what are they supposed to do with this, right? Verse 16, look down at it. It answers our key question. What are God's people to do? They're to circumcise their hearts. Think about that. How would they do that? Like, have you ever thought about that? To say that, what are you supposed to do with this? You're to circumcise your heart. That's like saying, in other words, you need to perform open heart surgery on yourself. (laughs) After you're saying, I require all of this of you, and you know what you need to do? You need to circumcise your heart. So just break open your own chest cavity, be your own cardiac expert, and perform surgery on your own heart. Like there's a weight in Moses' sermon here to God's people. All you have to do is be the surgeon who does open heart surgery on himself or herself. Go for it, God's people. That's what Moses' sermon is saying here. I think we can all be honest again. How well would we do with that like job description? Do open heart surgery on yourself. We would fail and it'd be really messy, right? really messy. None of us would be able to do that no matter how many YouTube videos you watch. You cannot do open heart surgery on yourself, okay? Right? So really like think about it. 
what core foundational thing are God's people being told they have to do? They're being told they have to have a new heart to trust and obey God. And they're also being told by implication of this command, they are completely incapable of doing it. Just like none of us are capable to do open heart surgery on ourselves. Moses, the reason I can say that is because Moses picks up this thread later in the book. We're going to see a lot of it later. Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 6. God speaks to the need underneath their need. Verse 6 in chapter 30 says, And the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your offspring, so that you will love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul that you may live. They can't, and God can. That's what Moses is preaching them. The only way God's people will get the deep heart change they need is by God doing that work himself, right? And just connect what's right here on the pages of Scripture in front of you. Like, why and how can God say that? Because it flows from who he is. Like, did you pick up on how awesome God is here in Deuteronomy 10? He is all-powerful, all-glorious, pure righteousness, all goodness, and completely self-sufficient. And again, we can say that because that's what God's word says right in front of us. Just look at verse 14. I want to be a tour guide for you today. We are like in the Alps of God's word here about who God is and how it applies to God's people. Look at verse 14. It says, behold, behold God's people, behold God. To God belongs heaven and the earth and all that is in it. That's how big and glorious and expansive God is. How above us he is as the holy creator. And then verse 17 also calls us out with who God is in his character. Verse 17 describes God as he takes no bribe. What what does that mean? It means God doesn't need your bribe. You can't give him anything that he doesn't already have. He's completely self-sufficient. He does not need a bribe. He is the all-sufficient one from eternity past to eternity future. And you could be like, yes, God's that good and that glorious. And maybe you think sometimes, but God's distant. (laughs) He's the watchmaker that set it all up and he leaves us down here suffering. Let God's word answer that. Look at how God is described as deeply, deeply personal, gracious, compassionate, and just and loving. Look at verse 18 right in the Bible in front of you. What does God do from his character as the all-sufficient one? We see that God executes justice for the fatherless and the widow and loves the sojourner. This is the character of the all-sufficient holy God, a God who cares for the weak and the vulnerable and the displaced. That's who God is. And that's how God is described throughout Scripture. Two quick examples. Later on in the story of the Old Testament, in the book of Psalms, Psalm 68 verse 5 says, God is the father of the fatherless and protector of widows is God 
in his holy habitation. In God's holy habitation, who is he? He's the father of the fatherless and protector of the widows. Psalm 146, verse 9, the Lord watches over the sojourners. He upholds the widow and the fatherless, but the way of the wicked he brings to ruin. This is who God is. This is how he works. Can you like taste and feel his character from this sermon? So I've been reflecting on this this week. And if you're here and you don't know Jesus yet, again, we're really glad you're here. Church is the best place to consider the claims of Christ. And I just want to invite you to like connect some dots here. So I wonder, is this from Deuteronomy 10, the God that you say you don't believe in? A God that is all holy and sovereign and self-sufficient and this loving and just and kind and compassionate. A God that cares for orphans and widows and strangers and immigrants. And when you say, yeah, Mike, I don't believe in God. Maybe the God you don't believe in, the other Christians in this room would say, yeah, that's not the God we believe in either. Like this is who God is. And I'd invite you to think about if you don't know Jesus yet, right? Like you hear it all the time in the world around us. And and it's a good way in some ways and also has deficits. There's like this wave of, of movement and momentum for justice in our world, right? Like maybe you don't believe in Jesus, but like you want justice. And, and yes, that probably makes you like a really good neighbor in and around Gresham, right? You want justice. There's so much injustice around us. But I wonder, like, how does that fit with you saying you don't believe in God? Like if you're here and in some way you believe in like social Darwinism, survival of the fittest type stuff, like how's that connect? You want justice, but that protects the weak and the vulnerable And don't they get in the way of like advancement of humankind? So I would just encourage you to like sit in some of the tension and even inconsistencies that God's word invites us to consider. And I'd also like lovingly invite you to consider that perhaps your desire for justice in the world is meant to point you somewhere. And not just somewhere, but to someone. The God who is the source and the answer for the justice you long for. This is who God is, we see right here in Deuteronomy chapter 10. So just picture with me again what's happening here, what's going down in Deuteronomy. Moses is saying that in order to experience the fullness of God's blessing, you have to have a new heart. And there's no way you can bring that about yourself. The only way to get what you need is for God to do that work himself, right? You can't circumcise your own heart. That's the work that God does. And I'd also invite us, for those who profess faith in Jesus Christ, as a church family, to consider some of the applications this means for us too. So let me tee that up by asking you two questions. This text calls us to reflect and consider what are you trusting in for your righteousness? And then what have you been trusting in to do that deep work of change in your heart? God's saying you need a new heart, and I'm the only one who can do that. So I'd offer to you, this has a few implications for us today. 
This reality means that religious performance can't circumcise your heart. No matter how many good things you do, and I mean it probably like really good things, and no matter how many bad things you don't do, that will not perform open heart surgery to give you a new heart that you need to fully love and fully trust God with your whole life. It also means, there's an implication of this, that a new set of circumstances is ultimately not what's going to bring the deep heart change that you need. So just think about it from Deuteronomy. They're ready to enter the promised land, right? We know they enter the promised land. And is it like heaven on earth earth for God's people going forward in, in the Old Testament? It's not, right? Their new set of circumstances did not circumcise their hearts. Moving from one side of the Jordan River to the other, what did they bring with them? What luggage were they carrying along the way? Their own stubborn hearts. Their hearts had not been remade yet by God. And this is true for all of us too. And I say this lovingly and compassionately as one of your elders, knowing what a lot of us were in, like Amy prayed for us earlier, some dark trying times personally in your family and whatever, right? This means a different set of circumstances isn't ultimately what you really need to change your heart towards God, okay? That's what Deuteronomy points us to. And one other implication that this kind of tees up for us, it means that politics can't give you a new heart either. No matter how right you think your politics are, it can't circumcise your heart. This is a timely reminder for us in our moment as we look ahead right? We're looking back to look ahead. What's right ahead for those of us who uh, are Americans in our context over this next year and two years? Another election cycle. Who's excited about that, right? Boo. Is our politics, no matter where you fall in the political spectrum, no matter who you want to be in power, what party, what person, is that going to bring the deep open heart surgery kind of change you need in your life? and everyone else needs. Like, can you see how applicable God's word is? The only thing that'll bring real, true, lasting change in your life is God doing that work, no matter who's in office, okay? So this is a reminder for us as God's people too, as we look ahead. And the reason I can say that, again, is because it's in the flow of Deuteronomy, did a change in politics and who's in power change Israel's heart going forward? Not at all. No matter if it was judges or kings, they had stubborn hearts. God is the only one who does the true heart change that we need. So why do we place our hopes for peace on earth and goodwill towards men in politics and politicians today? Again, it's not bad. We live under the sun, but why do we do that? Why? What do politics do? They function like a golden calf in our lives, don't they? They always overpromise and underdeliver. They don't bring about the change that we all need. So God's word is crystal clear here. You cannot do open heart surgery on yourself. We're like, yes, I knew that, Mike. Thank you, right? Only God can bring the heart change that we need. And this brings us to chapter 11 where we're going to see the question, what will God's people decide, right? So there's a flow, a movement in our text. 
chapter 11 brings God's people to a decision point as they prepare to enter the land. For example, just look down real quick. Look at verse one and verse eight. They start with a call for God's people to respond. It says, you shall therefore. So in light of what you've just heard, right, from nine and 10, you shall therefore is Moses's sermon. Moses is preaching for a response, for a decision. Three times, just in chapter 11, three times he calls for action by saying today, right? It's time stamped. We've been looking back, but that was only to help us like frame the moment and look ahead. Chapter 11 has today three different times. Remember in chapter 10, we saw that they needed to perform open heart surgery on themselves. They can't. Now here in chapter 11, God is speaking through his preacher, through Moses and saying, you need to follow God completely as you enter into the land. So not only do they need like a brand new heart, they need a new operating system for their heart too, to fully trust and fully obey God in the promised land. So a question hangs in the air for us in the flow of Deuteronomy as we come into chapter 11. Will they? Will they decide to trust and follow God? And not only will they, whatever they decide, their decision has significant consequences. Chapter 11 draws to a close and it highlights God's covenant blessing or covenant curse is put before them based on what they decide. Look with me at chapter 11, verses 26 through 28 and then 31 and 32. See, I am setting before you today a blessing and a curse. The blessing, if you obey the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you today, and the curse, if you do not obey the commandments of the Lord your God. But turn aside from the way that I'm commanding you today to go after other gods that you have not known. 31, for you are to cross over the Jordan to go in to take possession of the land that the Lord your God is giving you. And when you possess it and live in it, you shall be careful to do all the statutes and the rules that I am setting before you today. So from Moses' perspective, like the decision is pretty clear. What should God's people decide? To live under God's blessing or his curse, right? To trust and follow him or not? Now, Moses is saying, now's the time we've been waiting for. Now's the time to cross the Jordan and commit yourself fully to obeying the Lord as you go. But again, will they? Let's just remind us what we've seen. We're looking back to look ahead. Looking back, have God's people done this? What have they decided? They've decided to have stubborn hearts and to trust in other gods and doubt God. Why have you brought us into the wilderness as he's feeding them with amazing food? Just bring us out here to starve as they're stuffing themselves on like sweet honey bread, manna falling from heaven, right? So we look back, not a good sign. Moses is dropping Easter eggs in his sermon here. He's like foreshadowing what they're going to do. Because if they don't choose to fully trust and obey God and live under his blessing, it means they're going to live under his covenant curse. So what's their hope as they look ahead? Like they're in a bind here as they prepare to step into the promised land. That's, that's the argument Moses' sermon is making. That's how it functions. They're unrighteous, right? They need new hearts to fully trust and obey God. And again, there are significant covenant consequences based on what they hear, 
what they do, and what they decide. So what's the path forward? How is this bind resolved? And that's what I want to welcome us into in this last section of our sermon. So think about it like this. Why has Moses been looking back? Because he's looking ahead to the only hope for the righteousness and new hearts that God's people need to experience God's covenant blessing. He's not just looking at the promised land in front of them. In some kind of way, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he's looking beyond, isn't he? Moses is the imperfect mediator for God's people here. What they really need because of their unrighteousness and stubborn hearts, what they really need is a true and better mediator. And the reason I say that, again, remember the scene Moses reminded God's people of back in chapter 9? The scene where Moses acted like a mediator for God's people? What did he do when he came down from the mountain, from the presence of God's holiness? He sees their idol worship. He throws down the tablets of the covenant. And then he goes back up on the mountain and he pleads with words to God to forgive the people's sins. But what they really need is a mediator who would lay down his life to give them his perfect righteousness, right? Like, do we see where this is pointing? Hebrews, the New Testament, chapter 9, verse 15, is talking about Jesus. And it says it like this. Therefore, he, Jesus, is the mediator of a new covenant so that those who are, are called may receive the promised internal inheritance since a death has occurred that redeems them from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. Right? This is what we're seeing here in Deuteronomy 9 through 11. Or later in the New Testament, our call to worship passage today, 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 5 and 6. Listen to what it says about Jesus. For there is one God and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. Deuteronomy 9 through 11 are pointing God's people to their need for a true and better mediator. Charles Spurgeon concluded this, there cannot be any point of contact between absolute deity and fallen humanity except through Jesus Christ, the appointed mediator. That is God's door. All else is a wall of fire. You can by Christ approach the Lord, but this is the sole bridge across the gulf. Our text today looks ahead and points us to Jesus, again, the ultimate mediator between God and man. And I just want to show us how we can say that with our Bibles open in front of us. So just think about what we've heard, about what Moses has done, who he's been, who God's people are. Moses met with God on the mountain to mediate for the people. And Moses came down to the people, not giving them new hearts, but with commandments for them to obey. Jesus came down as the ultimate mediator between God and man by giving himself as a ransom, not by breaking tablets, but by having his body broken for us. Jesus was in full unity with God the Father and and the God the Spirit for all eternity past, and he came down from heaven to be the mediator 
himself by living the perfect life each of us should live and dying the death each of us should rightly die for our sin, for the sin of our unrighteousness. So here in Deuteronomy 9 through 11, Moses, what does he do? Remember, he warns them. He warns them against self-righteousness. Think about Jesus. Jesus came to deliver us from trying to save ourselves through our own self-righteousness by taking the penalty of our unrighteousness and wrapping us in his perfect righteousness. What did Moses say? Moses said we need to circumcise our hearts to experience God's life. Jesus gives us new hearts to believe, and he doesn't just give us open heart surgery. He gives us so much more. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Like you picking up how much better Jesus is and where Deuteronomy is pointing us to. Again, Moses in his sermon said that God executes justice for the fatherless and the widow and that he loves the sojourner. Yes and amen. It's who God is. How did he prove it? Jesus proved who God is for all time by making sinners his children at great cost to himself and bringing us as spiritual sojourners home, right? This is who God is. Jesus said that God's people had to obey all the commandments to be blessed in the promised land, didn't he? Jesus perfectly obeyed all the commandments of God and yet became a curse for us so that we can receive the full blessings of God that are ours now and will flow into all of eternity. Moses' sermon looks back to look ahead. And by looking ahead, he is anticipating the perfect person and glorious work of Jesus Christ. So as we move to a close from hearing this sermon about the sermon of Deuteronomy 9 through 11, I think it calls us to respond too, doesn't it? Because we also need to hear, we need to do, and we need to decide how we're going to respond to who God is. So let me encourage you to join in on the fun that Moses is doing here and look back, right? And by looking back, look ahead. Like now, and when we take the Lord's Supper in a few minutes, and this week, look back at how good and trustworthy God is and how he has proven that for all time through the person and work of Jesus Christ. And then apply that reality to your heart, to your stubborn heart that God needs to work on and make new. The only way for true, deep, foundational change to get a new heart in your life is to apply the person and work of Jesus Christ to your heart to the operational control center of who you are, right? To the central source of what you love, to the core identity of who you are. And let the person and work of Jesus Christ melt your stubborn heart. Let it comfort you in your afflictions of who God is. He doesn't just say on this, he's proven it himself in his person. 
Let that speak into your fears. Let it get inside of and underneath your unbelief. Like confess and repent before God. So let me encourage us as God's people now on this side of the cross to confess and repent of the ways in which you're stubborn toward God through your own self-righteousness, through trying to fix yourself. And then turn and trust in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins and ask his spirit to renew a right heart in you. And then, just like picture this with me, as God's people now, we look back to look ahead. And as you look ahead and you fix your eyes on Jesus, let Jesus' life remake you as you follow him with your life. Because for all who trust in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins, Jesus obtains what? He obtains a true and better promised land for all of us as we look forward where one day there'll be people from every tongue and nation and tribe and will worship together the supreme worth of Jesus Christ forever and ever on the new heavens and new earth. And there will be no end. Where Jesus will, listen to who Jesus is, where Jesus in Revelation 21.4 says, will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more, neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. So we as God's people are to look back, to look ahead, and in order to truly trust and obey God and experience the fullness of his blessings, we must have our life remade by God's life. So please bow with me and we're gonna respond in prayer. Father, we praise you for who you are, the holy, all-sufficient one, who loves the fatherless and the widow and the immigrant, Lord, and the stranger, the displaced. And you have provided proof for all time by sending your son to take on the curse each of us deserve and to give us the blessings of your righteousness for those of us who are in Christ. We confess and repent in light of this that we are far too easily pleased to trust in our own righteousness, Lord, to try to fix ourselves when we need you to fix us in a deep kind of way. So we rejoice, Lord. We stand positionally today, not because of our righteousness, but because of Jesus. So give us as a church, Lord, and us individually, deep heart change as we look to Jesus and entrust our lives to him. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.